0: Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed. This week, your hosts are Michael Morrow, coming to you from Denver. After being in Florida and Minnesota, this guy is busy.
1: Ron Hayes is coming to us from, is it chilly, Ron, Wyoming? No, it was balmy today. It was about 45 degrees. Beautiful. Backing up two
0: seconds. Ron Hayes is coming to us from balmy, (laughs) Wyoming. And Mark Raycroft is in weather system shock in Ontario, Canada, where it's minus 20 tonight with a wind chill to minus 30 C. Beautiful winter C, yes C as in Celsius. But they get pretty close at that. At that, minus 40 point. is minus
2: 40, I think, on both, right? I okay. think it is. All right, so Ray you're backing
0: close. up one more time here <laughs> in Ontario. <laughs> It's minus twenty tonight, with wind chill of close to minus thirty, which isn't quite the same in Fahrenheit, <laughs> but it's snapping cold. You're After, in rare form, Raycroft. Well, it's it's a special kind of episode, and there's a lot of I have a lot of reason to be in rare form.
2: Why is I it a special episode?
0: Well, because I just got back from a big trip, and ah, it was exciting. So a lot of big trip. there? Well, it went went around the marble. Went to Oz and New Zealand, Australia and New Zealand for three weeks. And I've been back, I think this is day four, but I don't even know because we're flipping the clock by 15 hours and nighttime is daytime, daytime is nighttime. That bird that stuck its head in his wings and pulled it out, I'm all over the map. So I won't even tell you what I'm trying to sleep right now.
2: Well, tell us why you went down there first. What, What was the original reason for the trip?
0: Well, the reason that initiated the trip is that my daughter, Martha, I was studying speech pathology at the University of Queensland in Brisbane Brisbane, for the past two and a half years and graduated early December.
2: Congratulations. That's good.
0: That was awesome. So much work. It's been a dream of hers for a long time. So we just had to go down and and be a part of it. And there's history there. I mean, my wife spent part, part of it. I'm tired in a way. Tired and caffeinated all at the same time. Spent close to five years of her youth there in Brisbane, and her dad, Martha's grandpa, taught at the University of Queensland. So there's history, so super cool. Pilly going back, she's been back, she went to visit Martha two winters ago, her first winter down there, so she had some time. But yeah, to revisit her childhood was a lot of fun. And the fact that Martha's attending a university that her grandfather taught at, is pretty cool. So but she graduated and it was a big day. To, and so what we decided to do, we're going that far as anybody planning a trip. And so much of this podcast today will you know, be about that for any of you who've thought about having an amazing adventure to New Zealand or Australia. Some of the things I learned definitely be sharing highlight locations and to do's and not to do's. But we decided if you're going that far, you've got to go for two weeks or three. We went for three weeks, two weeks in New Zealand. And Martha joined us. We had two camper vans and Martha mapped it out and we toured the south island of New Zealand, which is deemed to be the more picturesque of the two islands, the north and south. We spent the two weeks touring that and everybody agreed, you know, really, you could have done two weeks more. It was a bit of a whirlwind, but worth doing. And then we had a week in Australia. Totally different climate. Interesting. I mean, New Zealand's warm, but Australia is super warm compared to New Zealand being a little bit further south
2: So what's the flight when you fly? Did you fly originally to Australia, then Australia to New Zealand and then back to Australia? Or did you go directly to New Zealand?
0: All right. Well, that's yeah. The first thing that came to my mind when Pilly said, hey, let's go do this as every North American who hasn't been there. And I mean, was okay. I haven't gone. The flight is super long. Right. How are we handling that? We didn't fly. We flew to New Zealand because the first two weeks were going to be there. But it did create some hiccups for our flight scheduling. In all honesty, and you know, no offense to Pilly, she did her best scheduling all of this. But we flew to, so we flew from Toronto to Vancouver to L.A. to Auckland, New Zealand to Christchurch, New Zealand. That was to get there, and to me, that was like, oh man, just I, it was it wasn't bad. I mean, I can kind of zone out, and I, I get working on various things. It went by fairly quickly. but it, Well, it Pilly was did a good two job more lakes because then we
2: needed-
1: you get a day back when you fly back that way.
0: Right. Yeah, we lost a day. I was like, where'd that go? You
1: we lost a day going over, yeah.
0: Right, and Pilly promised I'd get it on the way back. We, we got it back, but physically and mentally, it doesn't feel like it.
1: When I was a kid, we went to, well, when I was graduated from high school, we went to New Zealand for this down under football bowl. And when we came back, we left on Saturday in New Zealand and, you know, the party age down there is 18. So we were all having a good time. We left New Zealand on Saturday and we landed in Honolulu on Saturday. So we got Saturday over. That was the most amazing experience of my life, having (laughs) two Saturdays back to
0: back. That's how you do it. The one and only way.
1: <laughs> right. Very so cool. you got back, or you got to Christchurch. That's where this thing kicked off?
0: That's where it kicked off. And and it was a bit of a convoluted flight because of these plans. We were going to New Zealand, then Australia, and then we flew back to New Zealand on the way home, too. So it was funny. At the airport in Brisbane, we got to the gate, and we flew Air New Zealand, great airline, great service, back to Auckland, and then Auckland to Vancouver on the way back. But we got to the gate, and I look over to the right. The very next gate is an Air Canada flight flying straight to Vancouver, leaving at the same time. I'm like, looking at Pilly, I'm like, huh. So we're, we're flying three hours to Auckland, we're gonna wait there for two hours, and then get on another Air New Zealand that's gonna fly us to Vancouver later, I see. So anyways, <laughs> I wanted to be really nice about it. I'm like, how much price difference are we talking about here? So it was like $300 more per ticket. I'm like, you know what, at this point in the trip, I'm in. Can we switch? The bags are already going. Right. I mean, it's a done deal. But you, yeah, it was it was a bit of a more convoluted trip because of the two destinations. It could be streamlined a little bit. the The longest flight we had was 13 hours, so and overnight each time, kind of. So it wasn't bad.
2: Did Did were you able to sleep on the plane?
0: I think so, but it didn't feel like it.
2: Yeah,
0: it didn't. It didn't feel like it. One of one of the uh, yeah, got a great pro tip on that one, but we'll spin that later. oh Yeah, but it well not great, but something that worked better for me. So yeah, it's, it was tricky the way over. There was more turbulence flying across the Pacific. The way back was smoother flight, but nothing nerve wracking. It's just a bit of a jostling kept us from sleeping. But comfortable seats on Air New Zealand, good meals, no complaints. So yeah, we got Christchurch is where we started. That's where it got real. You know, we landed. It's warm. I have no idea what to expect from New Zealand. I've heard all these wonderful things. I've seen pictures. I've been so busy with other traveling this autumn, I just left it up to Pilly and Martha to plan it and was looking forward to it. So we get there. We get the shuttle to pick up our camper van. And tourism in New Zealand seems to be super popular for camper vans. All different sizes, of course, and budgets reflecting that. So we pick up our camper van, and it's just basically a sm- small van. It's not a big one, but it's it like a minivan, right? Yeah, like a minivan, like a uh, this. It was like a Chevy. I think it was Ast- Astro. Do you remember those ones, kind yeah. of the cube, mm-hmm. cube-shaped ones? So it had a lot of room. Had uh, for two people to sleep a table that could set up, but we never dealt with that. You have the two seats up front, and then at the back, there was a little sink and, and kitchenette thing. But honestly, we never used that. There was a little electric cooler back there. We didn't use the kitchenette stuff because at all the holiday parks, which are all over New Zealand, where we'd stay each night, you get a campsite there for around $50. All those amenities are provided. They have kitchens, you know, with like 10 different stations in them for all kinds of people to use and social centers and showers and washrooms and stuff. So we got the camper van, but it was this. So Pilly's been there a bit. She hasn't driven there a lot. She was a child when she left, but everything's flipped. Everything's down under. I mean, really, things are flipped. The days are flipped. The time's flipped. The steering wheel's on the right side of the van, and you have to drive on the left side of the road. So right there, I'm, I'm... Honestly, I'm shutting down a little bit at that point. I'm like, okay. And there's signs all over the place. Stay left, stay left. The tourism is so big. I mean, they need to warn people. You do not want to be in the wrong lane. So yeah, it was Pilly drove and did an awesome job, but we, we both were a part of it because, you know, especially get going watching and you could follow other to learn it, you follow other cars through an intersection. Not nearly as many traffic lights in New Zealand and Australia for that matter, too. Uh, but especially New Zealand, a lot of roundabouts. So it's more time efficient, but you really gotta be on your game and you're watching. And here obviously we dial right around the roundabouts. There it's left and some are two lanes cause you'll go around to the second or third exit kind of thing. So follow the leader worked well. When there wasn't a follow the leader, it's like both of us focusing on So That was, that was the biggest challenge of the whole trip really. And everybody did great and we all survived it. And the roads in New Zealand, We'll get into that. They're all paved and 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 fine. In some areas, very good, but super windy, especially through the mountains and forests and narrow. And I don't know. I was going to get into it later. The bridges. <laughs> I don't know why they did this. The bridges go to one lane, and and it's not all the the right of way is not always the same. I don't know what they decided on, but you know you might have the right of way on this bridge, but one ten minutes later. The other direction has the right of way. And there's an arrow and a sign on the road showing who has the right of way, which means if you see a vehicle at the other end of the bridge or coming across, you have to wait, you yield and wait your turn. But some of the bridges might be several hundred yards long and there's a bend at the
2: other end of it. It's like, all right, right, we'll go for it. So anyways, cool country, lots to talk about. So is there just not a lot of traffic? Is that why they can do that? Because it just seems that that just doesn't seem very efficient because how do you know if, I mean, if there's 10 cars waiting on each side, that would take forever. Yeah, there was
0: never really a bottleneck. We didn't have to wait at any bridge. There might be one or two and, or three, and you all go at the same time. So it was never a long wait. So you're right compared to a lot of places in North America, not nearly as much traffic. But there's enough traffic there. It's enough trucks just sailing along that you don't forget about them when you're going across these bridges, right? So, and, I mean, they're used to driving there. We're not. So it makes sense why they drive faster, too.
2: So they so must the, just do that just for cost, right? Just build a bridge that only has one lane is a lot less expensive.
0: Hundreds but, of them had to be, has to be cost, right? Other, crossing rivers and stuff like that. I can't think of any other reason. And there were a couple of bridges that had both lanes near the larger cities and stuff. That was, you know, clearly this is out in, in the country, along the coast, stuff like that, through the mountains.
1: So they spend business. more time in the mountains or along the coast?
0: We did the whole South Island. We navigated most of the perimeter of that. So we crossed it to begin with. It was like, wow, this is, the farmland there was so lush, so green. Sheep, as I'm sure most listeners know, I mean, they're everywhere. So the stats, 10 sheep for every person. It's got to be at least that. So through all the agricultural lands uh, and lots of cows, sheep and cows everywhere. And uh, the pasture land was, you know, pastoral, beautiful, rolling hills, some trees here and there, but just lush, lush green everywhere. And again, it was the beginning of their summer. So the days are much longer there this time of year than what we have It's basically the flip. So it was warm and and very nice. The mountains were more coastal. And so we got into that the first day or so, didn't see any big mountains. We went uh, uh, north from Christchurch to Akaroa on the first day. And One of the things is to the GPS was very important to have in both vehicles for navigating. It's just such a great map system. But be smart about it. Don't always trust it. The first day it took us through this farm, we were following Martha, and it was this gravel road that went up these hills. And, yeah, it looked like we were going to end up in the middle of nowhere. But it was a shortcut that GPS knew about and got us there. And super windy roads. but You didn't get shot at
2: for trespassing? (laughs)
0: No, if I remember correctly, the rules are different in New Zealand.
2: You You, shoot people.
0: Well, not just that. (laughs) (laughs) Not legally, I'm sure. Um, If I remember correctly, people backpackers can go anywhere. There's no on New Zealand. I mean, they're not to leave anything behind. They're not to cause any disturbance. I could be wrong about this, but I heard this on the trip because somebody, a, a wealthy North American that I won't mention, apparently bought a huge swath of mountain range. And wanted to privatize it. Oh, didn't shut my ringer off. Sorry. And was not permitted to because people are allowed to walk across the land. They can't take anything from it or disturb it in any way. But I believe there's general access. So there was never that kind of tension. But all the places we were going to were um, mostly coastal stuff. I mean, the, the marine life and the seabird life and and other birds too. Just astounding. There, once you, once you get off the, uh, the pastoral land, pastoral land,
1: so so when we went down there, the North Island is almost exactly like Ireland. I mean, even down to the stone fences and all that kind of thing. Is the South Island similar, or I didn't more see open? a lot of
0: stone fences. I saw a few. It didn't resonate Ireland to me. It, um, certainly green, but just lush tall grass green a lot of different deciduous trees, some really mature, cool, in, in places, um, evergreens, like redwoods, big, big trees. Uh, and I know there are some of those on the North Island, too. I saw pictures of the largest one, I think, is on the North Island. So, and the rainforests were just breathtaking, the moss on the trees, the ferns, the life going on in there, all the botanical sort and the bird life was um, so impressive. But it didn't, It was lush, if any, you know, landscape. It didn't feel quite as windswept and barren as Ireland would be.
1: So you said you spent most of your time on the coast. Did you get to the Southern Alps or no?
0: Oh, yeah, we got all over the place. So we went, I've got a whole bunch of things, and that's what people have to bear with on these points because there's so much to fit into this podcast. Um. We went to Akaroa to begin with. And why we went there was Martha had been to New Zealand once before a couple of years ago with a friend and had this experience to swim with dolphins. Now, this wasn't the only swim with dolphin experience that we had on this trip. And we weren't anticipating the second one. But (laughs) anyway.
1: First swim with dolphins.
0: All right. So Martha had been there a couple of years ago and had an amazing experience. These dolphins are the smallest and rarest dolphins in the world. And they're called Hector's Dolphins. They're endangered, obviously. And you can go to Akaroa. And this is something about New Zealand. I think it said, I can't remember exactly that we did so much on this trip, but maybe it was an hour or two drive. If you're going to do that, give yourself three or four hours for all these drives because you're trying to navigate a whole new road system. There's going to be sites to see you need to take breaks from driving and just rewiring your brain to driving there. take a break, grab a coffee, grab an ice cream, take in the view. But there were places worth seeing. So it was only an hour or two from Christchurch to get there, but it was was kind of rushed for us to make our cruise. We stayed in Christchurch in a camper park, a holiday park, which I think there were three or four options around the city. And this time of year, it was the beginning of summer, but not summer. So it wasn't super busy. And that was part of the reason that they planned it, obviously, around the graduation. But it was Good fortune that this is when it fell. We had pleasant weather, but it wasn't super busy for tourists. And so most of the attractions and places we went to weren't nearly as busy as they'll be throughout December and January. So for those of you thinking about going to New Zealand and Australia, um, mid-part of November through early December when we went is ideal. And then later in February is Good again, that's when Pilly went last time. But some of the experiences we had with so few people on these tours, it was I would really target the same dates if I was to repeat it. And the Hector's Dolphins, it was um, we'll put these links in the show notes for those that might be going for future consideration. But Black Cat Cruises, a great tour leader, great operation. The Hector's Dolphins are the only cetacean or uh, the dolphin whale family, that's endemic to New Zealand, the only one that's only found in New Zealand as well. And they're only four feet long, about 110 pounds, and there's a population estimate around 7,000. So you go out in this boat, you can see the end of the bay, beautiful landscape, a lot of farmland around Akaroa, the water's edge there. But you go out in the boat, and there might have been... on. And obviously, these tours are all have a cap for how many people are allowed to be out there and swim with the dolphins. And there might have been, I'm guessing in this case, might have been 15 people on the boat that were going to swim. So Pilly went out the first time, and Martha took the camera to film. I didn't go the first time. And unfortunately, they didn't have an interaction. So they, they have a guarantee with that. So they had a significant refund. We decided to stay an extra night and try again because of the potential for footage and experience. We went the next day. I went as a a watcher, a spectator. Pilly swam with them. And at that point in the trip, being like day two, it was mind-blowing. They were super cool, little, sleek, beautifully-colored marked dolphins. And, And they were social enough, but they basically would swim around the swimmers and kind of swim past. And they were in the water for 15 or 20 minutes with them, and maybe 20, 25. Great experience. The water was a little silty there for... At, the, at this time of year anyway, for great underwater footage, but it was an amazing experience and a, and a great place to check out close to Christchurch just to start the trip.
1: So are these, these are, this is happening in open water?
0: Yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. About uh, a couple of miles from the town site on the boat. So not too far. The bay wasn't huge. You couldn't. You couldn't see around the end to it, but you were out of sight of the town, To get there so definitely all open water but shallow too it wasn't i mean i i don't remember on this trip how deep it was this part of the trip but it wasn't a super deep area you could tell even by the color of the water it was like this uh, blue uh, slate blue kind
1: of so what are their main predators all
0: right Uh, i'm not i'm not sure to be honest i think a lot of the issue with the population has to do with fishing and and netting and stuff, that's what's caused the crash, but I would have to look into other predators if that would be. There are orcas that go through there seasonally, and I I know orcas will prey on dolphins. I don't know if they Mm -hmm. target them. In fact, no, I heard that orcas for the most part in New Zealand are, they feed a lot on rays. I think that's one of their primary food sources in New Zealand. We didn't see any orcas where we were. There's always a chance, but I think seasonality, we weren't the right time of year be ideal for them. Sure. So, we'll so were you some- able
1: to get any images of the dolphins schooling, swimming from topside?
0: So we have another dolphin experience later in the trip that is mag- this the one with the Hector's dolphins was really cool and worth doing. But the one later was like, oh my God. That was just I couldn't believe what happened in that. So, I was going to get into more of the video stuff because the results were far better from that trip in a, off a different part of the coast with different species of dolphins. but it was it's tough as a photographer, so I did that you know i'm I'm trying to create vlog material, so we're using the Osmo action, which is equivalent to GoPro seven kind of thing, so a swimmer would take that in Pilly in this case and and try to get footage in this water. It was a different experience than the second dolphin swim that we did. The second dolphin swim was more snorkeling. We had a snorkel, and we could be in the water. You could dive down. You were looking underwater as much or or more than you were above the surface. This trip at Akaroa, they didn't have, they weren't, I'm sure they were offered to have snorkels, but nobody was wearing them. So everybody's watching on the surface. These dolphins are so quick and so small, and the water's, the shine off the surface and the color of the water, unless they're within a foot or two of you, which happened frequently, you're not allowed to touch them, of course, and they have to come to you. Um, you wouldn't necessarily see them coming to prepare. So Pilly got some footage, but it doesn't compare to what we got on the next trip. And from the boat side where I was, so I was doing stuff with the smartphone for vlogging, telling the story, getting in and of the water, seeing the bobbing heads, seeing the dolphins swim by them as they ghosted under the surface. But the still photography is super tough, and these ones, I think I saw two breaches where they jumped out of the water in the half hour. Or so we were with them.
1: So, so yeah, I was you can't rare. predict that.
0: Yeah, yeah. In, in this case, you couldn't predict it, and then having them go by, you know, again they're small, they're small dolphins, so they didn't have any big tail flukes, and the fin, the dorsal fin was small, so it wasn't. It was tricky, but trying to document it. So I did, you know, I had the two to five hundred out on the back of the boat, which wasn't stationary, up and down, sideways, and that. It wasn't that rough, but there was some wave action. So I still have to put that stuff together, the video side of it, and see. I'm optimistic there's material from that, that enough to create a vlog for YouTube, but not compared to some of the other stuff we did. I <laughs> plan to do it. I plan to create a vlog on that, but I'm super excited about some of the other destinations as far as the content and, and how people will enjoy that too. So moving on from there, we went to, this was the first we saw the mountains. We went to Mount Cook, which is the tallest peak in New Zealand at 3,724 meters or 12,217 feet. And it was um, glaciers, mountain valleys, rivers, hiking trails um, that we could hike on and and just take it all in experience and we had good weather for the most part on this trip there's only two days out of the two weeks that we had to deal with rain the rest of it we were able to be outdoors so it was very picturesque they have the Sir Edmund Hillary Alpine Center there which was super cool and he had uh, summited Mount Cook it was his first major climb of his career and Sir Edmund Hillary was the first person to climb Mount Everest with his Sherpa Tenzing Norgay and of course, Sir Edmund Hillary is from New Zealand. So they were celebrating him there at Mount Cook. So there's a good interpretive center, a lot going on there for mountaineering. And, but even for those that aren't into mountaineering, there are hikes up to the glacial lakes and stuff that are super picturesque and worth doing. And when we were there too, on the way to Mount Cook, there were these lupine flower meadows along the lake shores that were just incredible. So for landscape photographers, it's, it's paradise. You just need the time to get the right weather and the right light. There's so many opportunities in New Zealand for that. There are only half a dozen places I'm going to highlight, but I want to get into more detail with some of the ones that I highly recommend for people to experience when they're mapping out a trip themselves. Uh, Milford Sound. It's fjord. I didn't know anything about it. It's kind of cool going in blind, not knowing what to expect. The drive into Milford Sound, most, a lot of people take a tour bus. But if you're camper van park um, traveling, which is, you know, a great way to see New Zealand at your own leisure, you drive in yourself. The fjord was this windy road that you went through these meadows and all of a sudden you're in this forest, this old growth forest. And then you're coming out with these vistas where the the mountain waterfalls look like they're coming from the heavens. They're so high. You think there's one segment, you look up, there's two, there's three. They just went on and on from the perspective of these, this road. We pulled off into one and there's this en- endangered parrot. It's the only alpine parrot and it's a kia bird. And they're supposed to, well, they ask you to report sightings. You're not expecting to see these things. We pull out and we lost Martha at this point. She was going down. We're trying to get to this cruise that she's pre-booked but I'm like we can't drive past this stuff the the clouds are there the waterfalls just give me five minutes I got to get it we have to document this trip in for the vlog so I'm trying to get these waterfalls both still photos and video and like two of these kia birds which are fairly big parrots you know foot or more tall green but super colorful wings land on the van and like (laughs) on the door and like in the face and like oh wow this is cool so I'm trying to say, hey, guys, how about you land on that bush 10 feet away instead of the van, right? Like, no, they want nothing to do with that. In fact, one took a ride on a camper at a site down the road, just stood on the roof. So that was cool to see. But as you drove down, and in the tunnel, there's a tunnel that is a lot like what we experience in Whittier. Similar length, except this thing goes down on a grade. Like, almost, I think, you could, if it's wet, you'd be slipping. So I was I was white knuckling a bit there, going through this tunnel down this grade, wondering when it's going to end. And it comes out to another vista of waterfalls and, and peaks that seem to reach the sky. And we wind so it took about half hour to wind through the valley to get to Milford Sound, which is an incredible fjord. Apparently not the biggest along that part of the coast, but uh, it's super. We get to the sound, parking there. Here's a tip: don't park right at the edge of town as you get the first parking lot you see on the left is free parking there's a shuttle every 10 or 15 minutes takes you down there's like four tour boat operators and that's all all there is in milford sound there's nobody as far as i know staying there overnight so you just get the free parking take the shuttle get on your tour do the tour come back to your parking at your leisure whereas if you park in one of the lots right down by the harbor From what I heard, it's super expensive. And it's interesting there's no kiosk. There's an automatic kiosk, but they weren't functioning the day we were there. You drive in, they photograph your plate. You drive out, they photograph your plate, and you have to go and pay them either at this electric kiosk or online. And it's it's very expensive. I think it was a hundred bucks to be there for an hour or two, Martha said. I mean, that's hearsay, but it was enough that we quickly relocated back because we missed our boat by 15 minutes. Because really, somebody stopped and looked at waterfalls. <laughs> I, I wasn't I was that popular for a little bit. So, <laughs> but thankfully, when we got to the harbor, they easily put us on the next boat. They have a lot of space on these larger boats. And so we did, it was about a two-hour tour, and there's planes taken off. There's a small airstrip there, so if, for those that want to spend the money, they can see the glaciers and the fjord from the air. But we did we did the tour, and it was breathtaking and we'll put photos in the show notes for that too so highly recommended if you go to New Zealand to experience Milford Sound because of the drive the rainforest there are places on the road that you're driving around the bends and the ferns are almost touching your mirror just vertical cliffs up beside it just amazing landscape and, and geology there and then the waterfalls and the views that you see while you're on the boat doing Milford Sound were again I keep saying different words but a sight to behold. Saw my first penguins. There were some penguins there on the rocks at the what, at the front. What
1: kind were they? Do you remember? Yeah.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> I was told, and I you know when I was jotting all this stuff down because I haven't even opened up all my mail from the trip when we were away yet. I was trying to get this all put together today for the podcast. I, I didn't. I was told, and I know Pilly knows, but she's not here today. I can find out. Or when i get on one of my talks you guys can look up the new zealand penguins but only saw a couple of them and lots of fur seals around one of the coolest parts of the tour of milford sound so here's a warning but it was hilarious so i've got the osmo action i'm telling a lot of the story vlogging stuff with that now we know it's all wide angle but it's good for landscapes it was super cool for the underwater stuff that you know, at Akaroa with the dolphins, but more so with the stories to come later on. So I'm holding the Osmo action, and there's this waterfalls that's coming down, obviously right to the boat, and we're getting closer, and and I was thinking, yeah, I'm going to get this with the video and film up as we get close, and just, because there's an incredible forest all along it, up the mountainside. And the boat captain's on announcing that, Okay, for those of you who don't want to get wet, you should move into the boat <laughs> now. In fact, you should already be in the boat. But I'm looking over in the waterfalls. It's still like 40 yards away. I think oh, that's no problem. But all just, just like that, there's like drop, 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 and then and just soaked. So, I mean, we know these action cameras are waterproof. The footage, I mean, it was funny going into it, but it didn't create anything what I had envisioned because it just all of a sudden I'm in a, in a rainstorm. Just nothing but water and totally soaked instantaneously. It was hilarious because he really did. He told people, you should be in the boat before now. And then it hit. It was done. So we went under it. But we didn't even look like we were going under it. So that was pretty cool. So Milford Sound is definitely high up on the list for a New Zealand adventure. And it's something you can do in a day.
1: I was was looking for the name of the penguins and... Milford Sound is definitely worth the trip. That's gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's
2: breathtaking. <laughs> I just and, looked it up, and it says thirteen of the world's eighteen penguin species have been recorded in New Zealand.
1: So we have no idea.
2: <laughs> I have no. I've got photos.
0: <laughs> I took a photo, so I I can uh, I can look it up
1: post podcast. <laughs> so Milford so,
0: Sound, uh, yeah. Worth, got to do it.
1: So you said you guys didn't stay there, though. So you had to go back out the tunnel.
0: Yeah, everything retrace our routes, So yeah, we we drove two hours so, to get there, two hours back to the town. For we were
1: your daughter and your wife's sake, you could have looked at the parrots afterward. Is what you're saying? And you could have made the schedule well, boat.
0: <laughs> yes and no. We stopped at the same pullout, and Pilly and I didn't see them because. Martha didn't see them in the morning, so we wanted to show her, have that experience. We pulled in, gave them 15 minutes. The light had changed, though. In the morning, it was very moody. It was all bright blue sky by the time we left in the afternoon. So as far as the video impact and photography, sure, you could see right to the top of the peaks to get the whole entire waterfall, but not... Well, so I have, a, I have a video of the Kia Bird on the door frame with the waterfalls behind, a short video. We'll put it on the show notes to show you the background. So it was worth doing that time of day. I'm just very grateful we still got on a boat. That would have been bad. But we did stop. But when (laughs) Pilly and I left, we gave it 15 minutes. We pulled out ahead of Martha. Within a few minutes after we left, the bird showed up again.
1: Oh, nice. Well, at least she got to see him, yeah. Yeah, put
0: on a big show for her, too. So it worked out well. So you have to drive all the way back out. It was fun, though. I, and I haven't looked. I, th- I think I shot 400 video clips on the trip. And I haven't looked at these. But I'd hold my hand. The stabilizer is so good on these little action cameras. I'd hold my hand up above the van out the window. Obviously, the audio is no good with the wind. But just driving through these mountain turns and waterfalls everywhere. And I'm really hoping there's a few segments that we can pull clips from to help create a visual story of in and out of Milford Sound, as well as the boat tour through that. But, it Yeah. If you look it up, I mean, it's so easy to do. You'll you'll understand quickly why, like like you say, Ron, it has to be done if you're there. And going to these places, getting to the mountains, and back, and um, crossing Southern Island, New Zealand. There are places with just incredible wineries too. So I've, these winery estates and they're open. Most of them cellar rooms are open for tasting, and they're very friendly. And we had some pretty cool breaks doing that. Pilly and Martha loved getting in and sampling some wine and beautiful country that way too. Not as much of a wild scene, but a good break point.
1: Oh, it was wild. It could it be wild. wild. Yeah. Could Different. be wild.
0: <laughs> then after Milford Sound, the next little stop we did. Now this is where we had the two days of rain as we're heading up the coast. Was it sounded super cool to me, and it was the glowworm cave tour so they went and did that and in this cave in this remote mountain cave that you can walk into and you have to crouch at times there are these glowworms that live in entire darkness that emit a light to attract their prey when they're in their larval stage and apparently noise stimulates them so they encourage the tourists to sing and they all kind of come to life on the on the roof of the cave i we We did so much on this trip. I didn't go into the glowworm cave. I sent the equipment with the girls, and they had a great story. Now, here's the reason, though. Here's the reason. I have all this gear, and I had work to do, and they had a (laughs) a nice place I could sit and catch up. But the rain was, at this point, was just as heavy as rain can be, just pouring down. And for this experience, you have to ride this little train. It looks like a kid's train you'd see at an amusement park for like 15 or 20 minutes which has a little roof over at the top but not the sides and then walk for 15 minutes and then you're in the cave and have the amazing experience of being in the cave with all these stalagmites and stalactites and and
1: the amazing experience that you didn't have
0: i've seen the pictures and the proof though so it's something i wanted to include for people because it's worth doing the unfortunate circumstance was it was rainforest super wet that day and so much so when they came i think there were only maybe six or seven of them on this tour when they left the the path that way these rock these rocky steps they went up on coming in on the path when they came out it was it was a small it was a stream over their shoes kind of thing and it rained hard i mean there were roads closed as we had to back across the island next day we had to take a different route because they were just flooded right out so much rain over a couple of day period
1: that's interesting. Up in the North Island, there so we had two options. We could either go fishing or go do the glowworm cave tour on the North Island. Oh, right and on. So but they so our group, I went fishing, but the group of, you know, eighteen, nineteen year old males that went in this cave, they told everybody you have to be completely silent. And being 18, 19 year old type A males, one of them made, you know, the cuckoo sound and the glowworms just shut down and out they came. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah, they got kicked out. Weird. So, I don't she so got the singing or the singing glowworms yeah. on the south and you got the silent glowworms on the north. I'll so, figure. take your choice, it depends on your personality.
0: apparently the people that were on this tour with them were like professional singers, just out of coincidence. So, they were belting out these Christmas songs that sounded like Broadway for these glowworms, and everything just came to life. So, yeah, I, I I can't comment on that. If you go to the South Island and the glowworm tour, it's an easy search on the internet. We can put a link in, too. Yeah, it was about sound. So, apparently, there are these underground streams, just to quickly say why they glow, and their insects' egg, eggs come in on in the water, hatch, and they think that the glowworms are the sky at night and stars, and they fly up to them, get stuck, and become eaten. But... Glowworm, I mean, where do you get to experience that? Glowworm?
1: Yeah, New Zealand. That's it.
0: New Zealand. All right. This is where my my favorite part of the trip starts, is we make it to Kaikoura. And we end up staying there for a few days. And you need, I mean, in my opinion, at least a few days there. And we didn't know when we got there what the potential was. I hadn't looked up any- any of this stuff I was going on a tour with my daughter who graduated to celebrate that in touring New Zealand with Pilly, and, and we got there the first day so it's a beautiful coastal area and there's lots of seals all around and it's their birthing time lots of seal pups super easy to photograph if somebody's into that and but otherwise we were just enjoying the coast this dark sand beach and then I see a sign for dolphin tours and albatross tours. i like, huh, what's that? So I look it up, and it's like, these look pretty good. And it says it's like a, a world-class dolphin tour. So I call them. Everything's book solid for the dolphin tour, but they have a waiting list. So I say, yeah, please, put us on the waiting list. I'm trying to have all these experiences I can to share for our audience and tell the story and, and highlight stuff from New Zealand. They have a second charter a small boat that also does an albatross tour i'm thinking that's pretty cool i mean they're such an, an incredible bird i had no idea i knew they were big but i didn't know how big so it was i've written down all these points it wasn't that much it was i think 130 dollars there were five of us on this small boat and we went out so we were able to get on that it wasn't book solid not as many people are into pelagic seabirds as they are into dolphins right so it was a two and a half hour albatross encounter they call it and it would leave at 6 a.m 9 a.m or 1 p.m so we went for 6 a.m because that's daybreak the, big, the best light for photograph or video opportunities mm-hmm. and again there were only five people on this boat and we only i you could still see the land where we went out to and we had it was amazing to see how big when they're flying especially the albatross are we had three different species come in we had the northern and southern royal albatross and then the wandering albatross as well and it was so much fun trying to photograph them now i know the 850 is not supposed to the nikon d850 is not supposed to be super fast for autofocus i've never had an issue with mammals but with birds i didn't expect it to keep up with a fast bird and they're coming in pretty quickly i want to get this wing span and different perspectives and 850 it was challenged i i have yet to edit those two because we just got home i'm really hopeful because i blasted a lot through each sequence that there are three or four that are that are good to highlight how big these birds are but it was a lot of fun and very hard to photograph them but a lot of activity and all kinds of different seabirds as well for those that are into birds there's possibilities of other species too so but the Albatross, get this, they can fly 10,000 miles without landing. I don't quite understand that, but if that stat's true, you just got to think about that for a minute. I mean, they land on the water, but does that mean they flew 10,000 miles and didn't land? I mean, but they soar, right? I mean, they have such big wings, they fly effortlessly once they're up. So super impressive, and they live more than 40 years. So the wingspan is up to 11 feet. I took a pil- picture of Pilly at the place before we went out on the boat. We'll put that in the show notes where she's holding her arms out, and you can see that. And then hopefully we'll have a couple of pictures of birds in flight as well that I'll get edited and put up on the show notes too to highlight that. So super cool birds, very photogenic, clean-looking, beautiful birds.
1: It's tough to put an 11-foot wingspan in perspective in the air when you're photographing one in the air, but that's huge. It quickly like fills a big, the frame. big glider, right? Their wings are so long that they just, they don't have to flap them at all, hardly.
2: You just hold up a yardstick.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Somebody stand on the front of the boat, hold the yardstick, and then wait for the bird to get in the right position.
0: (laughs) And they'd they'd fly by, like, sometimes it'd be way out. They might be 60 yards out, but sometimes they fly past the boat at, like, five yards, just as buzz. So... Yeah, it couldn't get much then. but right. And the speed they'd come by, forget about it, with the 850 for that. So the big issue is interesting with Albatross is these, and this isn't to slam the industry necessarily, the reason I bring it up is there's this new device, which really was exciting to hear about on the boat. The, the, the person who ran the boat, she was very informative, obviously very much a birder, and had... A lot to share about the life cycle and conservation of albatross and the issues going on with this bird species but these long line fish n- nets the long lines that will go for miles and miles have a hook on them that takes a bit to sink and they all have a squid on the end of the hook and the birds will come and grab that before it sinks and get caught on the hook get dragged down and drown so this happens to quite a few albatross so these long line fishing nets have a a hook every so often and a squid on it and the albatross will come and grab try to grab the squid and then get caught on the hook sometimes and then dragged under the water surface and drown there is this new device that hasn't been patented but it's out there that is this plastic enveloper that goes over the hook that when it reaches a certain depth and i forget exactly it might have been 10 feet or 20 feet it pops and reveals the squid in the hook so that the Seabirds don't grab it. It's already down too far. It's out of sight. And I think they're they were priced around a little under five dollars each. So it's something that there's some conservation organizations getting on board with and trying to get government subsidies and funding so that the long lines will all have these eventually to help protect the birds. And one presumes it doesn't affect the catch. So and limit and reduce the bycatch at least for the birds that way. And of course, plastics a big big problem with all these seabirds are eating plastic and feeding it to their young, and, and that's also dramatically reducing lifespans. So we got on the waiting list for the dolphins. Now this, this was the highlight of the New Zealand trip for me, was this experience. When we were out on the albatross boat, the dolphin tour was out at the same time. When we were coming back to port, we saw it maybe half a mile off. We saw that as a larger boat, they're limited to 16 people because of how much interaction they're able to have with the dolphins. Now these dolphins are dusky dolphins. So this is out of Kaikoura as well. The same company, actually. And Kaikoura Encounters, it's called. Now, you can be a watcher on the boat, I think, for $85, and, or you can do this, I'm oh, sorry, $95, or do the swim for $180. If you're able to do the swim, you've got to do the swim. They give you a snorkel, they give you a wetsuit. You have to be somewhat of a decent swimmer, but again, the wetsuits give you buoyancy. You can't, Apparently, sink with a wetsuit on. If you want to float that way, while we were coming back to port on the Albatross tour with our hopes of getting on this dolphin encounter, we could see half a mile off this boat, and the dolphins were like doing flips out of the water. Dusky dolphins are one of the most social dolphins on the planet, and they love interacting. and They they feed at night out on the open ocean. They come back into the bay for the daytime. This was also their mating season, so there were a lot of dolphins there. The pod, so we somebody canceled and we miraculously got seats the next morning for the five was it five thirty a.m same kind of time of day they had three options we wanted the earliest boat for the best light possibility for photography unfortunately we didn't have clear skies like we did for albatross there was some overcast but we still got good footage and photos to tell the story you know not calendar cover images without that kind of light but it was definitely worth doing so we got out on the first boat with this cancellation and we went out, probably a 30 or 40 minute boat ride out in the bay, and we got in this pod that apparently had 300 dolphins in it. That's what we were told. The staff are phenomenal. Just how friendly they were, how they suited us, how they watched everything, how they managed everything, and what the education that they shared about the dolphins and conservation and everything was fantastic. But swimming with these dolphins, with the snorkel, I'd look under the water. One, one brushed up against me as it went by. And I'd see five of them coming like 10 feet out and just whoo, right past. And you're supposed to interact with them to encourage them. They're that social. So you, you sing and you make sounds in the water through your snorkel, and they'll stick around. And if you spin, they'll spin with you. So you can put your face in the water, making the noise, and do a spin. And all of a sudden, this dolphin's like circling. You're spinning around, having fun with it. It's just – and the water was far more clear. So – and – They actually rented GoPros at this place for those that don't have one. But I didn't have a little buoyancy device, you know, a little yellow dude six inches long that attaches to it. So I rented one of those for five bucks to put on my Osmo Action so that I wouldn't, otherwise I was holding it and not wanting to drop it. This is going to come into a cool story next podcast. But (laughs) I rented one of those, but they rent all these things there. So if you don't have an action camera, That's an idea where you can get one because it's so much fun filming them. And we're in the water in three different spots with this pod. And I think, yeah, there's only, they go out three times a day, 16 people. They were operating two boats when we were out there. I think they have a third boat for maybe peak of summer. And then they don't go out for a few hours. or actually from noon on, they don't go, go out after that tour, 12 or 12.30 tour. So we were in the water three times, and the dolphins were just all around us. I mean, it was unbelievable. With the other dolphins earlier in the trip, you know, there are these flybys underwater. One or four or five would go past, and then a few minutes would go by. I mean, they were clearly interacting and social as well. But this was such a big pod. A mating was going on, and it, it, was, it was just a big party. And they were happy to be there. It was so much fun to film. So we collected some amazing footage underwater with them then we got back on the boat, and you change, you bring your regular clothes on the boat, you change to get dry, and then they stay out there for a bit with the dolphins and slowly navigate back toward the port. Well, the first third of the trip back, the dolphins stay with the boat, all of them. We're all around, just on wave surfing in the front, flipping, jumping. So I got the two to 500 out with dreams of getting some amazing aerials. And I think if, if, I did it three times, <laughs> three trips. I might get that shot, you know, but it was even with 300 dolphins all around and everywhere you'd look, there'd be like one in the air all the time. But where that happened, good luck, right? You've got the whole 360 degrees around you. The bee to get a full frame, tight shot of a dolphin in the air where you know it's coming up. It was, it was so hard. I got so many tail flukes going into the water or splashes by the time I got on it, and then there's a the movement of the boats. And, of course, I back off a bit, knowing that the 850's got a bigger sensor. I can play with a little bit of cropping. So it was very hard. One of the uh, one of the guides, he was, I think, from D.C., um, from Washington area, and a very nice guy. And he was like, watch some of the females this time of year. when they do one jump, they'll do four or five in a row. So about you know 10 feet later, she's up again, bang, 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 bang. So I was able to kind of figure that out a couple of times, but it was super hard to photograph well but an amazing experience to witness and so much fun i mean we got back in and like we just wanted to go again to be able to, to be in the water with all of those dolphins and have them so interactive so that's new zealand you know Kaikura encounters and the dolphin swim the thing about this you really really we got lucky you have to book this uh, way in advance i went on their website today Looking to remind myself what the rates were to share on the podcast and they're booked through the next two months virtually at this point. So it's such a popular tour and it's warranted to be that popular that you, as soon as you know your trip's happening, if you're going there, then book it in. You have to confirm by 4 p.m. the day before, otherwise they won't hold your seat or your place and that's how we got our tickets so there's a chance for cancellation but knowing about it ahead of time i would definitely book you know many months in advance just to make sure you have what you want and honestly if the budget's there and you want to do the photography bit i would book two days if you're booking that far in advance possibility different weather different experiences and for the fun of it you know have an underwater camera we shared i mean i did some and i gave it to martha i'm like it was. Uh, she was. That was my first one in this in snorkeling. So I was trying to adjust to the water and watch the dolphins and everything. And, and she is, she's a lifeguard instructor and all this stuff. She's she's way better swimmer than me. So I'm like, here you go. For the second, second time we went in, but the second time the dolphins were like, just all around us. So she got some great footage too. Do it, do it, <laughs> do it.
1: So was that the last day in New Zealand, or was that the? tail into your New Zealand trip, or was that, yeah. did you have time after?
0: No, it was, it was packed. Every, every day, aside from a couple of days that we navigated from one area to another, we tried to keep it three or four hours driving, max a day, and then have a day rest once in a while in a cool spot like Kaikoura. Uh, we were in Queenstown a couple of nights. If you go to Queenstown, kind of a cool city burger on the main street is some iconic burger place and it's warranted you got to go there and then the gelato next door I mean that's that's an experience right there check it out I've got pictures they'll be in the show notes <laughs> so it was it was non-stop tour and it was quick because there are all these highlight places to check you know and we'd be driving past the vineyard and the girls want to go into the vineyard It's like yeah well sure we're here let's take the time you've got to. so one thing i learned on this trip is to really what you think you can do give another third or even another half more time book more days in give more time for the drive so so that you have opportunities to do the additional sightseeing that's warranted as you go through new zealand or if you need a break for whatever reason and then there's the weather i mean we were really lucky in two weeks only to have two days of rain so you know it could be different as well so to have that flex but for me two weeks was a a good duration and we saw a tremendous amount in two weeks i know both the girls wanted it you know they would have been happy there for a month and i know many people would be happy there indefinitely so it's such a Mm -hmm. great landscape and for landscape photographers it's yeah definitely should be on the list to see and to try and photograph various regions the mount cook area the the Milford Sound, and then again, you've got some of these dolphins if you're there, and then you just feel. I mean, there's so much you learn about um, about conservation and what's going on with these populations.
2: Was it really a popular? Is it a lot of people, both tourists and locals, or is it sparse? What's it like?
0: It's it's sparse compared to here. The whole place, aside from the forests and the rainforest, you know, very few people are living in in those areas. But the farmland, it's, it's pretty expansive. You don't see a lot of people. You always are encountering cars, though. It's not like you're out and don't see somebody. I mean, every, and lots of traffic in some places. But it seemed like there were a lot of tourists from all over the world, uh, Asian tourists, Nordic tourists, North American. A lot of people go to New Zealand, and it's, it seemed like this was how they were. most of them were doing it. There are so many camper vans, on the road. So many companies offer this in all different sizes. You know, right up to the Mercedes sprinter vans you can rent. And a lot and they're these it's it's very accommodating for that. When you go to New Zealand you need to go online and have an immigration thing done. And I didn't do this. Pilly did hers months before. And I just never never got around to it until we're in the airport. In LA, we were flying out of LA, and the last thing the girl checking us in said, You both have your New Zealand immigration stuff looked after. And I'm like, No, but I'm gonna do it at the gate. She's like, And she'd already checked our bag. She's like, I'm not supposed to let you pass here without it. I'm like, What? I mean, our flight's in an hour and a half. So she's like, and she kept on me about it because she was, She's like, Well, you get it done by the gate, you're not going to be able to board the plane. So, Pilly. Looked up the link, she forwarded it to me, went through security, as soon as we were out of security, I did it, sat down, it took five minutes. But then it's like, it said on the website, up to 24, 48 hours to approve this. So do it ahead of time. But all it seems like it's more of a money thing. It's like 30 or 40 bucks. And it, I got the reply email in one minute. And then I could clear, but they needed me to show it at the gate. So you get that done. The other thing is the currency exchange. And to do ahead of time, and I most of what you can do if you want is on plastic there. And, and the New Zealand dollar is not as strong as, and nor is Australia, but New Zealand's even a little bit weaker than the Canadian dollar and obviously even more so than the American dollar. Sorry of for the paper sounds, I wrote it all down here. Somewhere. So to do that ahead of time, because when I called our bank to do it, they needed a week. And, Ron, I don't know how long it takes there to get foreign currency in.
1: Uh, We cannot. The only place you can exchange money or exchange currency in the U.S. is either at an international bank or an international airport. Okay. Which you get raked over the coals at the airport.
0: Well, that's what we did, and it wasn't bad in Vancouver. It seemed like it was pretty close. It might have been a couple of cents difference. Because I didn't get around to it, but we did most of our trip on the credit cards and that bill came in today and and the exchange rate was decent. The uh, so currently one Canadian dollar is a dollar sixteen New Zealand and one US dollar is a dollar fifty two New Zealand. So that helps, especially for Americans. Things are a little more expensive in New Zealand. Foods more expensive, all the amenities are a little more expensive, but not necessarily 50 percent more, except for the gas. So the gas for driving around in these vans and our van wasn't a new one it was anywhere from 225 to 245 a liter, which at 245 a liter is nine dollars and27 cents a gallon is what you would pay. That's crazy. But it was well, it's was it. got
2: to be so high just because they're importing all that stuff, right? I mean, it just, yeah. they just don't make it there. I mean, I'm sure they can make it right. there, but they don't have oil resources there.
0: Right. Definitely that's that's a part of it. Gas was a little better in Australia. Well, a fair bit better, actually. But, you know, when I saw that at first, I'm like, wow. You know, when gas goes up 10 cents here, people – it's in the news. People are upset about it. But it's like, no, nah, this is way – anyway, significantly more. But with that exchange rate – it's not a big deal. That helps, and it's it's worth doing. And if you do it with the holiday parks and the camper vans, it's not that expensive a trip. It's not cheap, but it's not that expensive either. So, worth doing. Highly recommend it. It's it's been weird to you know see palm trees and Christmas lights and hear Christmas carols there in what feels like summertime, and to come back to winter. But hey, that's a pretty cool experience too. But there was a lot to see in New Zealand. So it'll be a fair bit in the show notes. Go to dot com. check out today's so show notes. Links so
1: you're, you're kind of a Lord of the Rings type of guy, aren't you? Oh, I love the show. In fact, I, I watched some of it on my way back. Right. So I, did you see any of the areas that they filmed in?
0: Uh, we didn't target that as much. We were in one area I heard they did some filming, but it wasn't anything that there was no interpretive stuff that we saw or anything highlighting it i'm sure well in queenstown there were tours actually so across from fergburger place there was uh, a tour operator where they're everywhere but we're offering lord of the rings film set oh, kind gotcha. of tours, the locations you go in a in a buggy or this way or that way to experience it um so i mean for those fans it's definitely there
1: it was, a wild so as far as wildlife right uh, for For our listeners, the marine life obviously was a hit. And then uh, the bird life. And you said you saw no. So most of the big game there is non-native. I think. Most if not all, right?
0: Exactly. I think. uh, So there are stoats there that are weasels that are introduced. They have been trying to manage them for a long time. And we saw traps in different rainforest areas. Mount Cook Trails had traps beside them. They're trying to eliminate them because a part of the year they target birds and bird nests. Otherwise these birds don't have any land predators and they've had huge impact apparently on these bird species populations. So that's an issue. Yeah something that was not there for me. I mean I'm so passionate about large animals to photograph. That wasn't the target of this trip and obviously they're they're there, like you say, but they're all introduced. Being summertime, they you know it's it's velvet time of year. But where we heard they were was all heavy forest, so you'd be super lucky to see them in the summer. We didn't see any wild ones. There were there were game farms uh, that they farm venison, lots of elk or red deer that way. And obviously there are you know there are red deer operations, uh, European red deer across parts of New Zealand. There. Are, I read some information that Theodore Roosevelt had given a bunch of elk. I'm not sure if they were Rocky Mountain elk to New Zealand. So there is a population of elk there. And to my shock and amazement, there's also a population of white-tailed deer in one or two pockets of New Zealand. Uh, Obviously, we didn't see any either. So it was, yeah, the the land mammal stuff wasn't there. But honestly, the, the marine mammal life was phenomenal. So... There was so much to see, and the dolphin stuff, and this shoreline.
1: Can't wait to see some of the videos. Yeah, a lot It'll of be fun. Fun to watch. Yeah,
0: and, and the landscape warranted as well, like Milford Sound, and you really could stand there. Just driving in, it's like if King Kong lived anywhere, he's here. It just <laughs> felt like that. It was big jungle, big mountains, and at any moment there's going to be one giant ape hand coming over one of these huge mountains. It just was that, had that feeling, that vibe to it for me. Incredible forest, but a real contrast from the farmland, the sheep country, the vineyards. And then you know, then you're in these rainforests and mountains and giant conifers, and so, cool place. And if awesome. escape winter for those that like to escape winter, it's uh, something to think about. Good for the vitamin D. And the Australia segment coming next, too much vitamin D sometimes.
2: But.
0: <laughs> yeah, so there's going to be lots of lots of photos, landscape uh, photos, travel experience photos that we'll put in the show notes and some videos to help you feel what we experienced on this trip to New Zealand. So go, go check that out at wildandexposed.com for today's podcast. And you can find more of our team's work on Instagram, Facebook, and on our YouTube channel at Wild and Exposed Podcast. No matter which platform you're listening to us on, please take a moment and subscribe, hit that follow button, and give us a positive review if you don't mind. Give us a thumbs up or five-star rating because those help us to do what we love to do and to bring you this podcast on a regular basis. Also, big shout-out to Missy McKenzie for all that she does behind the scenes, our hardworking and talented producer. To bring you this podcast a polished version of this podcast weekly (laughs) until next time you've been listening to wild and exposed podcast. Thanks for tuning in.